Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But that made me think of like... Yeah. And I feel like... (laughs) There's a lot of grunting happening tonight, Pete. Britain, an ancient kingdom with legends of violence, cruelty, and torment in its blood. Join your hosts, Ross, John, and James, as they bravely tread where few would dare. Witness their journey into the horrific history of British horror. They are... The General Witch Finders. Ladies and gentlemen, goblins and ghouls, welcome to the eighth episode of the General Witchfinders podcast. I'm James in Bournemouth on the south coast of England. I'm John Pountney in South Wales, which is in the south of Wales. I'm Ross in Dorchester in Southern England. In today's episode, we are covering Jeremy Dyson's collection of short stories called Never Trust a Rabbit. Jeremy Dyson is the co-creator of the West End play Ghost Stories and a member of the sketch comedy team, The League of Gentlemen. The League initially began as a stage act in 1995, which was then transferred to BBC Radio 4 in 1997 as On the Town with the League of Gentlemen, and then became a television series on BBC Two in 1999. Dyson has written several books, including a novel, What Happens Now, published in 2006, nominated for the Goss First Novel Award, and enthusiastically reviewed by Ross after a bottle of wine in episode 5. He wrote Bright Darkness, The Lost Art of the Supernatural Horror Film, a non-fiction guide to horror films, and three collections of short stories entitled Never Trust a Rabbit, published in the year 2000, and shortlisted for the Macmillan Silver Pen Award, The Cranes That Build Cranes, which won the 2010 Edge Hill Award, as well as The Haunted Book, which Wikipedia seems to not know about, so we don't have any information on any awards, but it does have a very nice augmented reality cover. Five stories from Never Trust a Rabbit were read on BBC4 in the year 2000, only one of which we've managed to find a link for. See the show notes for details about this. And tonight, we are mainly going to talk about the following stories. We Who Walk Through Walls, A Slate Roof in the Rain, 
and loving the time of Molyneux. Now, all of these stories in this book have got a twist in the tale. And we highly, highly recommend that you get hold of a copy and read for yourself before you listen any further, because we will inevitably be... Cue various alarms and impact sound effects. We will be dropping some spoilers as we chat. I've been thinking about this quite a lot um, mm-hmm. uh, over the last uh, on the toilet couple of weeks whilst I've been reading this. Yes, but I was main, mainly on the toilet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I feel quite weird about reviewing something where the people are still alive. And, ah. and potentially uh, <laughs> might listen to what we say about it because everything we've done up to the, now has been very much in the past yeah. and we've been able to Melvin of, Hayes is still alive oh, Ross. yeah <laughs> but I'm sure he's not active on Twitter or is he, is he? No, Jeremy Dyson is, he's been very nice to us he's, he's um wonderful he's uh, and also okay. I think everyone in the League of Gentlemen I've spoken to a couple of them on Twitter in the past and they've all been really lovely people Jamie Dyson's answered me a couple of times on there I have um, photographed Mark Gatiss in character as Dracula. <laughs> Were you in character as Dracula or was Mark Gatiss in character as Dracula, John? He was doing Dracula for Big Finish, I think, in 2016 uh, in a studio in London. He's a very nice man, but I don't, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of Jeremy Dyson, what he did over Brexit and taking his Ubers to Thailand. I think that was <laughs> But that's not saying, I haven't got anything bad to say about this i just i just feel a little bit weird about talking about someone who's, who's alive and potentially well you know if I, they're what? really 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 fucking bored might that's listen to this. fine because i have something bad to say so that's that's Whoa. great okay because i was gonna say <laughs> you know for me this was one of my recommendations and this is something that i really yeah. love so for the first time in doing this podcast i'm not coming at it with a slightly raised eyebrow and I'm very much going to be arguing its corner. So, <laughs> okay, well, well, maybe James, you kick off then. Tell us about why why do you love this, and, and what was it about it that made you yeah, want to? Why why do you love this, James? Why <laughs> explain yourself, man? <laughs> right. So, first of all, uh, I feel I should point out that weirdly enough, I was present at the first recording of On the Town with the League of well, Gentlemen. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, my. My sister um, in the late 90s was the other half of a guy who is now uh, a very well-established comedy writer, a guy called Kevin Cecil. Uh, he was one of the writers on Veep. Okay. Wow. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, so, you know, he's ended up doing that. And his comedy writing partner was Andy Riley, the guy who used to do the Bunny Suicides books, which were uh-huh. hugely, hugely popular in the early noughties and back when I was working at, yeah, massively popular job. I have um, literally never heard of any of these people or these things. I think this sets out our store in terms of um, the fact that I only know about dead male British actors. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I literally know nothing about anything post-1996, even myself. Yeah. Okay, good. But still, I, as, as a result, he kind of moved in sort of quite rarefied comedy circles, which kind of led to me getting a job working at the Edinburgh Festival. Where I worked for Mel and Sue. Of course. Oh, I remember this. And that's when James yeah, came yeah. back from the Edinburgh Festival wearing a leather jacket and drinking Jack Daniels and Coke. It was just like, he, he changed right. over that summer. <laughs> that's right, I got cool. And wearing rings as I well. came out like the Fonz. Yeah. Edgy. <laughs> as a, and as a consequence, I was then living in London. I was an undergraduate and also postgraduate but, uh, when I lived in London. And so my sister said to me, do you want to come and see a recording of a BBC Radio 4 comedy show tonight? Kevin's got tickets. I was like, yeah, sure. 
And it turns out it was the leaky gentleman. <laughs> and it was the, the, the first time that they ever... So I always feel like that was kind of not comedy history so much. But hey, you know, I was there for that. But So that's, that's my kind of leaky gentleman link. But then what that's happened excellent. was I was working in a bookshop in the early noughties as well, while being a very, very impecunious postgraduate student. And Never Trust a Rabbit was a book that came in. And of course, I was aware of Jeremy Dyson's name. And, by, and at that point, he was established as the member of the League of Gentlemen that you didn't see. And I believe they play on this on the fi- in, the, in the film, don't they, Ross? Yeah, he's played by um, Michael Sheen in the film. There you go, right? Yeah. So the whole thing of, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so Michael Sheen as well. Yeah, we, every Oi! time we see Michael Sheen, we think it's you, John. Especially. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my thoughts about Michael Sheen off air. Okay. Oh! <laughs> Can't wait for that. That's just going to be good. But but I have seen him um, having a piss. <laughs> <laughs> so back in the early, you know, back in the uh, turn of the millennium, though. So I'm working in this bookshop, and I was aware of who Jeremy Dyson was as a result of League of Gentlemen, and and I thought, oh wow, okay, he's got a book of short stories out. And the best thing was at the time when I worked in this bookshop, you got thirty percent discounts. Off of, off of books Give so, over. yeah it was great no, it borders by the way no wonder they went to the wall you know before before <laughs> yeah. amazon sucked the life of the marrow out of them you know it was great yeah. for a little while working there so you know if there was anything you were mildly tempted by you're always like oh well, brilliant you know it's only going to be a couple of quid so i picked this short story up and for me um on the front cover of my edition there's a review from uh adam mars jones in the observer and the pull quote says his stories nestle in that little vacant chink between Roald Dahl and Borges. And for me, that was kind of, well, that's right up my rue. I, I really love uh, Jean-Louis Borges' short stories. I was really into those at the time as well, being a sort of philosophy person and really liking those kind of philosophical ideas. And of course, I really like the, I'm also a big fan of J.G. Ballard, I think we've mentioned before, and I love his short stories. So I'm always uh, well inclined towards a well-written short story. And when I started reading them straight away, first one, we'll talk about it in a minute, but um, We Who Walk Through Walls and straight away it grabbed me. I was like, this is brilliant. I loved it. Didn't see the twist at the end coming at all. I just thought, really? This is the business. This is fantastic. And I just smashed through them all. Yeah. yeah. Really, really enjoyed it. Have you read it again since the year 2000? Okay, that's interesting. Because I can remember really loving this when when I first read it. And... But I haven't read it since that, okay. that time. There's only two stories which were stuck in my mind. That mm-hmm. was the, the first one, the, yep. uh, We Who Walk Through Walls, mm-hmm. and the uh, two uh, quarter of a million electrical clearance. That was yeah. the other one was yeah, stuck yeah, in my yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was very interesting going back and reading it. Because I, I don't know if, has, have you guys only read the, the, the three stories we're covering tonight, John? Have you only read those three? Yes, I've only read those three. Okay. So I've read the whole pretty much the whole book since then mm-hmm. and it, it does feel um it was great and i, I really still did, mm. did enjoy it but it did feel very like late 90s did, really did it, yeah it felt very late 90s to me. okay yeah um should we just should we jump into the first story then okay yes. yeah spoilers so speak first so, so who wants to go through what the, the what the plot is well we're interested in a person who's just johnson we're told that he's being followed, and, and these people who follow him say, oh, that's interesting, you've got an interesting accent, where are you from? And he says, oh, kind of Eastern Europe. And they say, look, we would like to offer you a job. 
there's some, something that we want you to do. And you're like, and he's like, okay, then what's that? And then he then says, you, we need you to work for Trapedo. And he says, well, who's Trapedo? And he's like, surely you must have heard of Trapedo. And for all intents and purposes, he's like um, either David Blaine or, depending on your mm. mileage, um, David Copperfield as well. So he's a large, big event magician. And we're told that he's an absolute ringer for Trapedo. He looks... Paul Daniels as well. Yeah, exactly that. And, <laughs> Martin Daniels. And, well, I was going to talk about, in a minute, talk about like an event magician, and I was going to talk about how like event magic on TV when we, when we were growing up, and how even though I remember David Copperfield is supposed to walk through the Great Wall of China, and he's supposed to have made the Statue of Liberty disappear, both of which are things I can only vaguely remember. I can remember absolutely everything about when Paul Daniels was in the Iron Maiden and everyone thought he was And before he died, yeah. (laughs) That night, because that was on Halloween, it was... There was two of the most frightening things I've ever seen. It was Paul Daniels um, being uh, (laughs) trapped in the Iron Maiden and blood coming out of it and Debbie McGee screaming for him to be let out and then them cutting to to black. Uh, And then that was followed up by something about the Enfield Potter guys where they played the the tapes of... um, of of the of oh. the ghosts you know, <laughs> talking about uteruses and for life, and, literally yeah, exactly yeah absolutely terrifying that night okay but here's the deal trapedo is going to do this stunt where he's going to walk through the wall of a cemetery which was a scene from myth in which a golem which is a character primarily from sort of like the hebrew tradition when it's like a, a man just crafted from clay and given given life to you know be an avenger not as in the the avengers age, age of ultron but you know as in uh someone somebody to cap- not, john doesn't know what that is so don't worry about uh, that patrick mcnee no not one of those the uh, the golem is seen as someone who will right a wrong and you know kind of a, a, a person who delivers justice but trapedo says to johnson you look just like me and here's how the trick's going to work we're going to make it look like i'm going to appear on the other side of this of this wall but of course it isn't going to be, I'm not going to do this. It's going to be you on the other side. I'm going to go in one side. You're going to pop out the other. We look so alike. There you go. Everyone will be amazed. And the thing is, I'm going to pay you a large sum of money, but you've got to shut up and disappear. You know, that's the, the, that's mm. the conditions. That's the con- conditions of the trick. Yeah, and, and then, pretty much he implies that if you say anything to anyone, I will have you killed because I'm yes. that, I, am, I am that powerful. Yes. He is a huge celebrity. He is, then we're told that he's like a massive celebrity. And then we find out more about him and we kind of go like his background and his past. He's from Liverpool, isn't he? We're told, we're told that he's from Liverpool yeah. originally and, and things such as that. And we're also told kind of like only very kind of basic details about, about Johnson. And I will say at this point, I, I, this is something where I'm someone that I never try to kind of guess the end or the twist. I'm someone that likes to be caught up in the story and caught up in the moment. And I'm sure I'm not giving away any secrets here by saying Ross is the exact polar opposite of that. Ross loves from the from a second one of the story going, oh, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. And that, yeah. constantly, constantly guessing. So I'd be interested to hear if, Ross, did you see it coming at all? I had, I had forgotten the twist and I was completely blindsided by the fact that it was going to be some kind of supernatural being that did it. I had yes. some kind of weird memory that he got trapped inside the wall but that was it so I, I didn't i didn't catch this coming at all i gotta say that out of all of the ones i've read this is the only one in my mind i could see being made 
and I did cast Rishia Smith as the magician. So what about you, John? Did, did you see the twist coming? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an experienced hand at this, says John. <laughs> I just knew what was coming straight from the beginning, that it was going to be some kind of... I didn't see the twist, but I knew it was going to be like... Not what it seemed. I just found it weird that it was a lot was implied, but then none of it was delivered. So you've got this kind of thing to do with Eastern Europe. Yeah. The lady that he sees in the cafe at the start who kind of identifies something in him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She recognises it. Then none of that is delivered on or or is so vague that you just think, I don't really understand why that's... That's part. Do so you think it. she recognised that he wasn't human? She recognised oh, that, right. like, that, that, that he's that he's a golem. Yeah. Oh, that's what he's meant to be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh right. <laughs> oh right. I thought he was an angel or something. No, 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 no. So that uh, way, and here we go into, into spoiler territory. It turns out yeah. that Johnson is the golem uh, from uh, from the cemetery, and oh, basically see. he has right. taken the form of Trapedo. Rap, rap, rapido. To catch <laughs> Trapedo out and to punish him. Yeah. See, maybe if I knew what was happening in the story, I would have enjoyed it. <laughs> Johnson inhaled deeply, then said, Forgive me for having taken a form so similar to yours, but we felt it the surest way to get you. He smiled broadly before adding, Incidentally, I can do this as well. He plunged his hand into Trapedo's chest. It passed through the skin, muscle, and bone as if they were soft cheese. Trapedo looked down, finally speechless. He felt Johnson tickle the. He felt Johnson tickle his heart. Johnson shook his head, then withdrew his hand. There was no wound. The white satin of Trapedo's shirt was unblemished. Not that way. Don't worry," said Johnson, who then took to the took the shivering conjurer in his arms. Shivering, shiver me timbers is harder than it looks. You left us no choice. You cheap and wonder. You defame it, using it for your own ends. You don't add to it. Magic is all. Magic is this world. It does not lie in your tatty mummery, but in every flower, every stone, every sod of earth, if you would only stop and think. However, I'm afraid that that time has passed. Well, I'm here to be convinced by you two. I, I'm not sure I have been yet. I just, I, in my mind, it was a bit of a Randall and Hopkirk kind of thing. I don't know why, where I just saw the other guy in a white suit and I thought he was an angel or something. I didn't really... Uh, I didn't get the golem thing at all. Uh, I have been in that cemetery, though. Have you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in um, in Prague, I've been in the yeah. Jewish cemetery. It's absolutely mm. crazy. It's like, it's a tiny, tiny bit of land. Mm. Just piled with tombstones. It's insane. It's, I think we went in 2005, so it's a long time since we went, but I know I've definitely been there. And it's a very, very evocative place. I can understand why if, if Jeremy Dyson has been there, he wanted to write a short story about it. But I obviously totally missed all of the implications of the story. It was an interesting one for them to open with. To reading the whole book, I feel like there's a mixture of very small, almost like internal stories, where it's, it's, it's pretty much all within the person's mind and it's, it's all very small it's all very much based in leads and right what you know <laughs> quite inconsequential inconse- little things whereas the first one breaks off you know it's this international uh, magician intrigue people being followed it's it's going around the world and stuff it, 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 it was quite a big story 
to, to start off with. I, I enjoyed it and I didn't see the ending coming even the second time I read it, but there was probably 20 years in between the first reading and the second one. That's interesting. So then... Mm, I, go on, John. Yeah, go on. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, but then that leads... I mean, I mean, in a mouth bar. Good choice. Then we come on to A Slate Roof in the Rain. <laughs> um, and I thought that this was interesting for a number, of, a number of reasons. First of all, I should point out that when Ross did read this one time, he sent me a message going, this is you, <laughs> this, because I am a teacher. I'm not an art teacher, but I was like, oh, thanks, mate. Mm. Cheers. And we'll get on to, you know, but, you know, I feel I should point that out for the listening public, that um, mm. that's mm. what Ross thought. But also the reason why I thought, ah, oh, I'd be interested to see what John makes of this, because of course John is an artist, uh, Ross has an artistic background, and this is the story where I think it's that, the supernatural quality of art. And that book that I read recently, mm. The Apparition Phase, this kind of touches, it touches on that as well, wherein it's that whole idea of when you create something, you give it life. When you, if, as an artist, when you create something, you're kind of bringing it, you're giving it an existence and it, and it comes into, in, into a yeah. plane. And once it's out there, you're no longer in control of it. And that for me mm. is what I picked up from, from this story that sometimes, you know, someone can make art and put it out into the world and it can have a dark and powerful force that you're no longer in control of. And, and mm. also, so, yeah, mm. that control thing, it can be something which, um, has a life of its own and often goes beyond the intent of the artist because I think that the, this kid had no intention mm-hmm. in, in what he created. But also, I think there's some, there was a strong implication that something was moving through him. Because I find that sometimes some awful things move in through me. I think that's part, it's part of your um, inspiration, isn't it, John? <laughs> You've just got, got to squirt stuff out well, yeah. into the world. I, yes. <laughs> there's no squirting up. In this story, it's all about a teacher, a long-established teacher in the, in this school. Art teacher Dickie Bo Dial. Dial. And, and it's a secondary school. He's a, a long-confirmed bachelor. Mm-hmm. It mentions that people have assumed that he's gay in the past, but... Um, it's not true. But he's very, very um, set in his ways. It seems happy in his life. However, I think that... Indeed. Like this and a couple of the other stories, that although people think they're happy, they're probably not. Um, when yes. they're, if they're being honest about the, some of the choices they've made in their lives. He wants to pick only the kids who are actually really good at art to come into his art class, but there's a young boy who's quite inept, quite socially awkward, mm. quite uh, from a bit of a, a shitty background, uh, wants mm-hmm. to come and join the art class, and he, he does everything he can to try and scupper this kid coming into the into the A-level class. And then when he does, he ends up producing this one... A disturbing piece of art. It's almost like comes through him and he has no control mm. over it. And the mm. guy is so bitter and freaked out by the art, he actually dismisses it and actually makes the, the boy feel bad about producing this piece. And he ridicules it in front of the other student. There was something bad about the picture. Not badly drawn or badly composed. It was neither of these. It was mostly black or very dark brown. The left third was dominated by a huge brooding owl, naturalistically rendered in coloured ink. It gazed out at Dial and looked at him in the eye. It was perched on a winter-stripped branch that spread out like crab's legs across the rest of the image. Behind the bird, some distance away in silhouette against the storm-soaked sky, was a dark, sprawling castle. The castle was surrounded by impenetrable woods, filling the space around it like thick old cobwebs. The strangest thought occurred to Dial as he stared at the image. If someone were to say, you have to go to this place, he would fight and kick and scream and cry to avoid it. 
that's that's how the painting is described. It did feel like the kind of description of a painting which you'd only find in a, in a novel t- describing a, a a painting. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's very sort of romanticized sort of um idea of a, of a spooky painting, but basically what happens. It comes across that he he enjoys visiting prostitutes. He finds some prostitute in some Eastern European country that he gets almost like purchased for the uh, for a, a period of time. Goes out there. Um, turns out that the girl is actually uh, was it a dad or was it like a stepfather or something like that? Uh, it's it's not fully, but it, it's something quite yeah. creepy and horrible and, and seedy and scary happens, and the teacher gets killed by the boyfriend or the stepfather or the father of the prostitute. And then the last thing he sees is the, is the picture um, from the boy's painting. He has captured his final moment. That is his final vision. Well, he sees the yes. scene. Yeah, he doesn't see the picture. It's the scene, yes. He looks up. This, this was probably the one I enjoyed the most in the way that it was so much like an episode of Tales of the Unexpected. I could actually hear the music at the start and the end. <laughs> uh, and it was introduced by Roald Dahl in, in a dressing gown. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, I don't know. I wasn't very taken with it, to be honest. Okay. But but this is my favourite one. So I think this is my <laughs> week where... Um... Basically, we've come too far away from 1972, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No one was in flares. We've submitted James to too many shit films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the opposite end of my comfort zone. Um, I just felt like I could see <laughs> I could see the ending coming miles away. From the minute that the kid has done this painting, I know what the end of the story is, and it's going to be the man seeing the, the scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So really, it was just... It was just turning the pages to get to, to that, get point, to that and point and then go, oh, yeah. When I read it, I wasn't kind of second-guessing where it was going. I was just seeing how it unfolded. And again, I thought, yeah, like, oh. I don't know if my brain... Maybe. Kind of very tells the unexpected style but I liked it. And as you said, the whole, as Ross said, this theme of people that have lived, they think they're happy, but in fact, they've had an unfulfilled life or they've made a dreadful... They've, they've done something awful. Like I say, you know, part of this kind of karmic punishment on diet is due to the fact that the, uh, the artist... Fatty something. No. <laughs> the artist, Bernard Sunset, or, you know, what he does, as Ross says, he breaks his spirit. And we're told that he, he kind of produces, you know, work of, of lessening quality. But why is he called Bernard Sunset? Uh, he said that was the only remarkable thing about him was but his there's name. No, there's no kind of, nobody's called Sunset. I just think there's kind of things dropped in that are kind of like, well, the only remarkable thing about him was his name. And then you give him a name like Terence Washing Machine. It's like, <laughs> that, that isn't, that's remarkable because it's not a name. No one's, sur- no one's surname is Sunset. And it's not like, it isn't explaining the story then why he might be called Sunset. It's kind of dropped in and then just not developed. You find, you find it contrived. Yeah, the overall arc of the story does make perfect sense. And in 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 a way, it is a really good short story because it's, you know, this guy who's never really done anything with his life. He's had a pointless life. And then he just goes, visits this prostitute, and then he dies. It's about him kind of ignoring the the remarkable things that have happened to him. He's obviously yeah. ignored them, where he's had this girlfriend yeah. that, you know, he, he couldn't commit to, and then she left yeah. him to someone else. And yeah. then, obviously, he's seen this painting that the kid's done, and, and rather than kind of applaud what the kid has done he's just said it's weird um yeah don't don't do it again but i just think that the 
the things I have issue with, like in the first story, are just the details that are dropped in where I'm, I, I've got no frame of reference to, to kind of pin this to. But did you find description of doing an RA level evocative? <laughs> to your, to your, to your, because it did make me feel, it was strange that when I took our A level, it suddenly the yeah. way the art teachers behaved towards us was very different. It was, it was, yeah. all, it, it was like you can bring your records in and play it on the record player, and uh, you spend the whole day in the um in the art room, and 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 it, and it just it did feel like. No, it's, sudden, it's, it's not Mr. Johnson, it's Dave. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Call me um, Dave. That memory of like yeah. suddenly be- becoming being treated like. An adult. an adult by by the art teacher and being able to mm. like not go okay well today we're going to be do- drawing this and you've got to do it a certain way it was like okay you can express yourself yes and maybe it's because i was one of the kids who could actually draw in yeah. in that group where she was allowed to go away and do that sort of, that sort of stuff and, yeah and that that was one of the things that i liked out of this story was that the memory mm. of suddenly going to uh, a level arts uh, art foundation art school and stuff yeah. those are some of the, the happiest things i've ever done in my life it is a very nostalgic story and i do think it gets that well i don't know if it gets that because of when it was written or the way it's written and like you said earlier they do come across as very light late 90s early naughty stories mm. with their references yeah what it really reminded me of was actually when i was still in school in stratford high school doing art uh, and not yet in college, because I did my A-levels and GCSEs in college. When I was in school, like we o- only had two hours of art a week mm. or something insane like that. So for me, that was the only lesson where I really felt like I was doing anything that I wanted to do. Mm. And I can remember the art room now being a very strange, the whole school has been flattened since. So it was a very kind of odd 1930s building but i did find that location kind of triggered that memory of of uh making making a life-size figure that was falling through a window um <laughs> out of copy decks yeah. and rubber gloves and stuff and that's the kind of thing it reminded me of yeah the sort of weird um, shit that you got to do in it at a level but I, I think that's um kind of what the story's about isn't it like when you when you've created a piece of work you're not you're then not in control of the effect that it has on people. Mm. And that's a little bit what I think the painting is meant to be about or a metaphor for you release something into the world and then you it becomes other people's work then, mm. doesn't it? Mm. Mm. Especially yep. in especially what something that you read because you imagine that internally rather than, you know, bring bring your kind of own frame of reference to a painting. When you read something, the book becomes your imagination doesn't yeah. it because you imagine the images yourself rather than the writer kind of having any control of yeah. what that becomes I, I listened to an interview from jeremy dyson him talking about writing this mm-hmm. and he said he was very surprised about what was coming out and he was talking <laughs> he was saying that it was a, a really interesting exercise for him to see what actually scared him and what actually he was worried about and what he wanted to write about and he was he was talking about the ego and the self and just saying mm. you know the whole idea that what you think of yourself is of who you are is such a small actual part of your actual self and he, and he was saying yeah. how that's why people can talk to you and reveal stuff about yourself because they see other aspects of you of you which you, you you're not aware of and i felt like reading all of these stories of so many of them felt mm. to me that they were about either the fear of not doing something when you're when you should do something 
mm-hmm. or for fear of 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 making a mistake in your life which will yes. fuck up your life forever and you can't take yes. it back and it just did feel like the whole thing like if i was going to analyze them after reading this is that like you're very very frightened about making any kind of decision and it was and i felt like that's probably something which someone who's just starting their career and has suddenly become very successful very quickly mm. is probably quite concerned about so like i mm. now suddenly got to the a position where i can do pretty much anything i want but making those decisions is going to either going to make or break my career yeah in the other stories are very much it's pretty much all about relationships it's like do i tell someone i love them mm-hmm. either you do that and it fucks something up or you don't do that and it fucks something up and, and, up. and that's, yeah. that's something i can very much identify with i've had three uh shits today <laughs> no rom- <laughs> similar romantic relationships <laughs> in my life <laughs> Louise Wiener. Louise, yes, exactly. Louise Wiener yeah, and, and Beck. And Beck, yeah. Two of those, I had to sort of make the decision to say, I like you. The first, yeah. first one went really badly mm. um, and they didn't like me back. The second one, mm. they did like me. I had you weren't still friends with James, though. Yeah, exactly. Come on. <laughs> second one was a, a relationship which lasted 10 years and then went wrong. Yeah. And then the third relationship, it was someone with someone else, someone with my wife. She told me that she she was the one who was brave enough to say i i, I want to be in a relationship with you and um it's just it, it, and those and those are just free decisions on someone's life which make a massive impact don't they and they are a big deal that when who do you decide that is the mm. person i want to be with or or i don't want to be with and 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 that whole kind of um fear of what the impact that's going to have on your whole life reading this book now as a 43 year old man who's in a a, a committed 15 year relationship with two children and, and about to buy my third house or whatever and all that kind of stuff mm. i don't have that fear anymore and it's almost like this book doesn't have the same impact it had for me when i was in my 20s it's a young man's book it's a very young man's book i think as in it's a book which is very for young men and by young i think it's about someone mm. who's about to make a lot of big decisions in their life and is frightened of them whereas mm. It really reminded me of a couple of Paul Cornell's Doctor Who New Adventure novels, Ah. which are pretty much about the same pop culture references. One of the Time Worm ones, which I can't even remember which one it is now. It might be Revelation. Like Ian Brown is mentioned. I think Brett Anderson is mentioned. Really 90s references about being a teenager going into like... Selects magazine. Oh, Jesus. Don't don't, don't bring it back. (laughs) No, but do bring it back, but don't don't bring don't. it back. Stone Roses are mentioned in this book on another story. Yeah, Stone Rose. Well, Stone Roses are mentioned in Love in the Time of Molyneux. Yes. Maybe I'm, yeah, I'm seeing it more through your eyes now. I'm probably thinking it's slightly better than I thought, but it wasn't for me at all. That's right. That, that, yeah. that story particularly, I could almost see shot on film and being on ITV half past seven on a Wednesday night, but with, with a slightly less racy ending. <laughs> Um, well that was one thing i felt like there was a huge amount of sex in this book and almost as a younger yeah. guy yeah and you know this goes back to um reading things like the rats i yeah. would have found would have found some of that stuff either like titillating or not seen <laughs> as an issue whereas reading yeah. looking at this as an older child, i'm just like oh yeah sex. i read it as being a bit like i don't want to read what someone else has written about that they find sexy. Yeah. That's literally the last thing I want to read about. Do you think that nowadays, because 
sexual imagery is yeah. so much more ubiquitous ubiquitous and accessible mm. that it doesn't have to leak into other culture so i feel like there was always erotic thrillers around. Mm. Uh, there was always sex in books. There was always uh, there was always a, something a little bit racy in there because you couldn't get anywhere else. Potentially, yes. I mean, my favorite, as we know, <laughs> mentioned in every episode of this podcast, <laughs> my favorite writer is probably M.R. James, and there mm-hmm. was literally zero sex of any kind in any of his. Besides what some people see as being like a homosexual subtext. Mm. There is nothing, there's no romances, there's hardly any. I mean, I think there's like one romance in all of his stories. And I prefer it that way. Yeah, I'd rather just know about the ghosts and like digging up the curse rather than like the next, yeah, the next story we're going to talk about um, in the time Mm. of Molyneux has the sexy girl in it. That's right. But I can't find her sexy because I know it's, it's what another man has imagined being sexy and that... I just find that slightly uh, distasteful. I don't know why. Just thought it was a bit weird. Are we ready to jump on to the next one? (laughs) Bit of a Freudian slip there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Right. Okay. So this is one that this is the one that whenever I'm telling people about this short story collection, this is the one that's always stayed with me because I think it's such a fantastic conceit. 
Now, the general plot and principle of it is a man finds out that his flatmate, his very popular and very Mm. successful flatmate, is the second coming of Christ. Mm. And now, a number of people have kind of touched on this story before, this idea of, ah, well, you know, what if there was a second coming of Christ in the modern age? I remember, like, do you remember Russell T. Davis had a I was going to say, Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, second coming. That's right. No. Um, it literally called the second coming. The Stone Roses, second <laughs> album. And that as well, yeah. Uh, but this was one that I really like, just because of the kind of the, the short, and oh, the, uh, the other one that's always really stuck with me as well is from Michael Shabon's The Yiddish Policeman's Union, which was another book which I highly, highly recommend. It's an alternative, it's an alternative universe novel. And it's set in a world where kind of they got the Jews out of Europe before the worst of the Holocaust happened. Okay. And they kind of established a Jewish state in Alaska. Well, I, I do have that book, but I've never read it. So I need oh, to read that. And the, the, whole, the whole purpose <laughs> and pitch of it is, is that you find out that, you know, this, this chest prodigy, this former chest prodigy has been murdered. Back to love in the time of one year in a minute. And then you find out that, in fact, he was the second coming. Oh, he was no. the second. But then the great twist to me, all this is you find out there's loads. There's uh, been loads of second comings. The whole point is, is hardly anyone can handle the responsibility. Mm. It's such an overwhelming responsibility. It mm-hmm. freaks out. It's every- kind of implied in this in this yeah. sto- story now that it, it, it feels like there might, there might be another one that comes along because this one failed. Yes. Yeah. In, yeah. In this absolutely. Way. Yeah. 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 And that's what's cool about. It. So again, an idea that I just absolutely loved straight away. So you find out um, that he said, so the, uh, the eponymous Molyneux is mm. the second coming of Christ. Mm. And as he continued through the course of the short story, we see, you know, he's a doctor and you find out that he's doing more and more miraculous things. And the media started to take note of him and people really, really like him. That, that Barry, who's his flatmate, who's also, mm. and we, we learned he's only got one arm as well, that mm. he's, he's, he lost his arm in an accident as, as, as a child. And as a result, has always felt strangely inferior. He meets this woman who he's incredibly attracted to. And she says, I need to get close to your flatmate. Again, you know, kind of seeing that we're going all in twists, you find out that it's not said explicitly, but it's made out that she is in some way the devil. Yeah. Or that she is a, like an agent of the devil. We're told mm. that she has a remarkable, but, you know, like kind of like an enchanting book birthmark on her, doesn't it? And she just six, says, six, Look, six. and what, yeah. And what I like about it is she says, they've got it all wrong. They want a world that can't be. Mm. And it can't be like this. And if they mm. win, it's not what humanity's about. And you'll kind of mm. you'll, you'll be in, you'll continue to be enslaved. And I really loved that the first time I read it. I really love not just the whole kind of we are evil and we're gonna get the second coming. I really like that whole notion of, well, maybe that's how you'd get into, you know, kind of you get next to him and get close to him by saying you've got to realize you've been lied to he's mm. not going to be this force for good it's it's you know it's a it's, it's a hope well not a hoax but you know it's a myth and mm. i just thought that was that was terrific and then of course he buckles because to be fair james your explanation mm. of it makes it sound much better than it actually <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> okay like, I now want to read this story, but I've already read it and I didn't enjoy it. I, I, okay. okay, however, the way she wins him over is by say, like saying, I'll have sex with you. Um, with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. What you were saying there, you know, if, if there was more about him sort of like questioning what a world would be like if 
if this actually happened. And also, mm. he asks, um, when he realises that Monubian, because he shows him, doesn't he? He shows him, like, like the choir of angels and all that oh, kind of stuff. Yeah. The room fills with blinding light, we're told. You know, but so he asks him me. to heal his missing arm. His arm. And he won't, yeah. he won't do it. And I felt like those two things probably could have been enough for for uh, him to make the decision to betray him but it feels like it is is over it's over um reliant on her coming across as being really sexy mm-hmm. it's like um thingy with pete and dud isn't it bedazzled when raquel welsh is the devil i think is she the devil i don't know I, i'm not aware of this oh it's a film yeah yeah, yeah called yeah, bedazzled yeah. and then it was remade with liz hurley and the guy from The Mummy, Brendan Fraser. Fraser. But um, I can't, I, I think that's the that's the overall context of that. What this story made me thought made me think was that it's basically the same story as the first story, where someone who's got too big for their boots is, is kind of taken down a peg or two by uh, what I thought was um, angels or, you know, demons or whatever. And I th- thought they were basically the same content interesting um this one was more nostalgic and and this is the one that made me think much more of paul Cornell, paul cornell's doctor who writing in the early mm. 90s that's to do with like these omnipotent figures of good and evil and stuff like that coming into uh human realms and kind of uh, doing stuff. This um, one did make me wish it was a longer story, and uh, uh, and they could have done more. Yeah, I wanted to find out more about this. Yeah, I mean, the ending is that he's he's basically chuffed that he's cocked it up for his mate. Yes, yeah, yeah. isn't he? He's yeah. so I, because you know, the pettiness. What happens? She then seduces Molyneux at the end. <laughs> yes, is that what you're led to believe? And we're sold that he will, it, she said he will lose his power. power. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as and I like that that whole kind of the human thing of oh well you know kind of screw the rest of humanity I got one over on him and even though yes. I didn't feel like oh, I would do the same or anything like that I just thought I like that it felt very true that you know yeah. somehow people are that selfish and people will be that selfish oh hundred percent yeah yeah, yeah. And so but your explanation just... is better than the story James oh okay. thank you well, I said that Jeremy I just found, here we go but I, I, I found <laughs> the same about most of the Hammer films us talking about. <laughs> <laughs> particularly satanic rights of dracula dracula oh. yeah, yeah so i was listening to that the other day you moaning about how dirty london was and i was like what is wrong so the so the bit that i really like is the, the girl, girl smiled there was another lengthy pause before she was spotted thing is michael your friend he spotted all wrong got what all wrong all everything his people are acting on behalf of perfection it's unnatural we are only interested in preserving a delicate balance. Mm. So, you know, it's just that whole that thing. And I really loved that. And I think that was the first time I think that I'd ever kind of come across that in a story, that notion of rather than that kind of Manichinae in terms of you've got light and darkness and one must be the dark and the other one must be the light. That whole notion yeah. of, well, you know, maybe it wouldn't be good for us if, if there was some kind of safety figure. We do need that. That's what we need as a species. But anyway, that's, that's what I took and ran. Uh, from the story and like i said it stayed with me for years and years and it's often one that when people are talking about kind of second coming stories um and and the like uh up to and including uh behold the man by michael moorcock 
Was you, have you ever read that one? No, no. Ah, no. right. Okay, it's amazing. It's a, it's a time travel story featuring a guy who is like, he's a Hebrew scholar and he's absolutely obsessed with Jesus and proving the existence of Jesus because mm. most fact fans, we don't know for a fact that Jesus existed. So he gets friendly with a guy who's making ex- an experimental time machine and he says, look, you've got to be aware it's a one-way trip. You don't come back. You, you've got to go, right? And he's like, okay, okay, it's fine. You know, I speak Aramaic. You know, he's like a proper, you know, biblical scholar mm. and what have you. He's like, I speak Aramaic. I, it's my life's mission to, to meet Jesus and to, and to know that this is true. He travels back mm. in time. Oh, he's all disorientated. But, you know, he's, he's walking around Galilee and he's talking to people in Aramaic and he says, I'm after this guy. I'm after this carpenter. I'm after, the, you know, Jesus. I'm after the son of Joseph. He is Jesus. I'm after the is son of Joseph. Is he Jesus? Correct. <laughs> got it. Yeah. Well, he finds, <laughs> he finds Jesus and finds out that he's a gibbering idiot. But yeah. he's just a fool. And then the, the realization that yeah. he has got to be Jesus. And that's yeah. how he knows that Judas will betray him. And that's how he knows what will happen to him. Because he knows the story, and it's like mm. the horrible realization that he's got to be Jesus. That's a great show. Mm. You've never read it. Yeah, it's, it's really. Worth I do it. like. The oh, I'll spoil it for you, but it's good. It's not long. Michael Moorcock. Behold the man. I like. There was a series called The Flip Side of Dominic Hyde. Oh. In the eighties, I don't think okay. it was a series. I think it was two. I think it was like a special one-off, and then a sequel. And it's a guy from the future that turns out to be his own grandfather or great-grandfather, something like okay. that. Because he comes back in time, meets Caroline Langrish, has an affair with her, who can blame him? And then basically <laughs> he, he finds out that that he is his own forefather or whatever. Um, I li- yeah, I like any I like any time travel thing like that, really. And Doctor Who hasn't done that very often, has it? If at all, really, where... The Doctor is his own father. Yeah, that kind of thing. Maybe they'll try that in the next series. They, Who knows? They, did, they didn't do it on Spearhead from Space. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, well, maybe the Doctor's know... penis was the Spearhead from Space. <laughs> what they did do is film it totally <laughs> on 16mm. John Pertwee's yeah. penis would look amazing on 16mm film. <laughs> you can see his tattoo yep. if you look closely um, in was that. The, so. Was that the um, HMS Hood? Mm. He was on the HMS Hood when it was sunk, I think. And I think he did he not have a Rolls Royce or something on the deck? I don't know. But the, the, the um John Pertwee is in um the last issue of the 14 Times about a weird um like ghost spirit thing which he saw mm. which made yeah. him pi- made him piss his pants. That's a word for <laughs> That's a, 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 which made me um, subscribe to the 14 Times, which um, f- for more John Poetry piss pant stories. <laughs> he, um, Wonderful scene. I'm sure he used to present a program called I've Seen a Ghost, where he I pissed my people pants. about I piss my pants with John Poetry. <laughs> Not with John Poetry. Uh, yeah, Pert weed my pants. <laughs> You've missed Very the good. career, Ross, as a tabloid headline writer. <laughs> yeah. So there was a couple of other stories in here which I would recommend, John. I think that we, I, oh, yes. I would recommend for you to read one called "A Last Look at the Sea." Oh God, that sounds miserable. <laughs> a, a couple who um they they found an old sort of guidebook of out of the out of the way hotels to go and um, stay. Oh, yeah. at. And they they go yeah. to they go to one in Cornwall, and uh, in the middle of the night he wakes up and he and he feels a real urge to um 
yes. proposed to his girlfriend. Yeah. But he chickens out and doesn't do it. And then they're told by a guy in the bar that um, every so often there's a thing called the wash, I think, where the, the tide goes out a really, really far way. Uh, really long way this uh, is um this is really like ringing the changes by robert aikman at the moment and Ooh. um and this before and they said if you go through the fog you'll see something more beautiful than you're ever going to see but the the, mm. the man and his is uh, the girl he he's in love with go down there and the, the wash goes out and she goes through the fog but he's too scared to go out because he um because once he goes through that apparently it just looks so the sea has just disappeared and it's just like such an expanse of space mm. and he's got agoraphobia or something like that and he's too scared to go out and he sees her in the distance bend down and mm. and dig something out of the ground and she's trying to get him to come over to look at her but he's too scared to go and do it mm. uh, and he runs away and when he comes back she comes back but she never tells him what she saw and then mm. their relationship breaks down and then they never get married or never do anything after that point. Um, and it's just really evocative and it feels like that kind of story which I, I feel like you've talked about in the past, which you like. But I, mm. there's also that whole idea of like you never know what that was. Mm. But is it a metaphor that he never took that step? Yeah. that It sounds like a mix of Whistle and I'll Come to You and Ringing the Changes by Robert Aikman where... In Ringing the Changes, a couple go to a seaside town for their honeymoon, an older man and his younger wife. Little do they know that it's an annual festival where the dead come back from the sea. Nice. Nice. And it's all all night bells are ringing, and, and it's to do with waking the dead. And then the dead come into the town and take his wife away. And she comes back. Um, the next morning, a very different woman. It's a very strange story, but it does oh, sound very cool. similar. Oh, that, to that sounds cool. I'd like to read that's, that. Of course, that's a good, it's a good the... Robert Aikman one because some of Robert Aikman's are just rubbish. They're like amicus horror films. They're just nonsensical and they make no sense. And then they finish, and you're like, "There's one where he walks where the main girl is a character. The main character is a girl walks up a hill." sees these miniature people, sees some people in the stone circle, goes home, and then the story finishes. And it's but just I, like, I believe anyone can make this up. I believe that that's what Jamie Dice is working on at the moment, is doing uh, uh, Robert Aikman adaptations for television. Wow. Oh, okay. It all ties together beautifully. I did not know I that. Believe Interesting. That, I, be, I believe that's right. I might have that completely wrong, but that's Mark Gatiss has done the... Has, has made Ring in the Changes for Radio 4 with... I think it was George Baker as the main guy. I can't remember what. As in Inspector Wexford, George. Yeah, George. yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I, that might be available on the iPlayer if our listeners want to go and check that out. It's quite a good one. It's about half an hour, but it's slightly different to the story. Another good one on in this book is called The Maze. Um, and mm. there's a, a, it's a guy who's... He's got a memory of there being a maze in the park yeah. which he goes through as a child. Um, and he's, he always remembers him going there with his mm. mother and his mother's died. But he's trying to get his his uh, sister to remember it. But he's, he's, he's no, he doesn't want to outright say, can you remember the maze? And she can't seem to remember it. He's talking to her, his um, sister's husband. And he can't remember it. He talks to his dad who's had a stroke. And it looks like he's got some kind of memory, but he can't bring it out. So then he mm-hmm. goes to the... He goes to the um, to the park and he can't find and it's like he said i can't i can remember going to this part of the park but then i've got no memory how i got from there to the maze um so 
he can't find it there so that he goes to the library just before it's going to close mm. and they take him to the local history part and then they show him some stuff and he finds he finds on a map like a shape uh, there's a shape on the map of what it could be where the maze is and he says to the, the woman uh the librarian who's got some missing fingers um and he's, right. say, he's saying uh and, he, and he's trying not to look at her shiny stumps this is weird the, like an armless man a woman without fingers yes. yeah, yeah empty teeth and she said mm. where is it uh, you know it, i need to see some and she gives him a, a card with like one of those sort of uh do what's it called the um the, the numbers in a library they do the the do we dex dex do do oh right. yeah 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 <laughs> yeah so, the Dewey yeah. Decimal. The Dewey Decimal. Yeah. yeah. Of a number. And they're saying the library's going to shut soon, but she sends, shows them into, down a corridor. Possess all. Yeah, possess all. And um, there's some doors with these numbers on, and he goes through the do- a door with a number on the card, and the maze yeah. is in that room. But it's all like um, all the tr- all the um, leaves are dead. But the room's big enough to have this maze in it, and he he goes in the maze to try and go to the center, where his mother always mother always to take him to the center. But as he gets to the center, you can hear someone locking the door behind him, and that was a, uh, I really liked that. That was a good story. That sounds very uh, Mr. James again. Hmm. I I think what maybe what he does, and this is what I do, but I don't finished writing them or indeed ever published them is that it maybe his stories are like very um obvious love letters to his kind of favorite influences and stuff yeah because there's um mr humphrey's inheritance i think that one is there's a maze in that um where the guy it's quite a convoluted story but he draws a map of it um for a lady who wants to find the centre of the maze, uh, who's doing a book about mazes, and then a blob of ink falls onto the page, and then as he looks, the the hole it becomes a hole and gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then a, a burnt figure comes out of it, uh, out of the map, uh, and it transpires that that is, I think that's his uncle who was cremated or something. Right. It's, it, it's it's a really weird story. It's um makes you think he was on opium, but I don't think it was. There are some other good stories on that, and there's the the two hundred fifty thousand electric clearance. Is Give away. Yeah. Do you remember there in this yes. the nineties? There was a there were these yes. scams where they was like, oh, come in, come in here, and you can get like a a Sony camcorder for fifty quid, and they'd make everyone come into the room, then they would shut the doors, and then like really intimidate you to bid on something, and you come out with a bag of a load of shit. Do you remember that? That was like a scam. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. Living in London in the nineties, <laughs> you would see this, like a big sign saying "electrical sale this way." Yeah. Off of sort of side streets, off of Oxford Street. You know, kind of what what now the hipsters would describe as a pop up shop. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, just an abandoned shop they'd taken over. And as Ross says, that you know, it, it was clear even for my kind of naive, you know, wet behind the ears boy from Dorset way. I yeah. could tell like. You're not going to get anything legit out of going no. in there. And, you know, so, but yes. I'm reading the other book, that's What Happens Now. There's a lot of to what would I have done if I was in the Holocaust, basically. It's, it's what mm. would I have would I've stood up to these people? Would I have had the courage to fight back? This story and in that book as well, I think there's people put into situations where there are bullies and they and there's um, people trying to intimidate you, people who are picking on you from, from where you're from and who you are. And it's just like that fear that I can't make a scene or, or, or I'm too weak 
to stand up to these people and and just being in that horrible situation where you feel like I've got no power, but actually, if you did just stand up and say I'm leaving here, I can walk out of this this place where they're trying to make mm. me pay five pound for electric screwdriver or whatever was in there. There there there's been points in my life growing up where there have been bullies or people who are trying to put power over you and and you feel like that all I need to do is say no or stop and this will stop happening but I'm too scared to do that I'm in very much a uh, a position where I'm a white British male from I haven't got I'm not from any minority I'm in a bit I'm in a position of particular of privilege for example maybe figure we went to Egypt me and Beck went to Egypt and there was a lot of times where um people were trying to get us to pay the money to do so for example we went to the valley of the kings and mm. uh there was a point where we was the only ones in a tomb with a, an egyptian guide and he was mm. like he sort of like come this way come this way and um he was like uh, come come and he lifted up the rope and there in one of the tombs there was a sarcophagus still there and he said mm. get, get in it <laughs> and he allowed me to lay in the sarcophagus in <laughs> Tell me this, Ross. Get in it. Why did you think it was a good idea to do that? Because I thought, well, you know, I got. I'm like Alistair Crowley. That I, that, you know, it's one of those things where when else am I going to say it? I laid in a sarcophagus in the Valley of the Kings, and you could see, and they had like the the lid of the sarcophagus suspended over, it, and you could see all the paintings on the inside of the sarcophagus, which you mm. wouldn't have seen otherwise. So I did this, and obviously he wanted me to do that so I could bung him some money so i gave him that yeah and then he tried to get me and um, beck to go down this tunnel which had a massive fucking hole in the ground oh, which you no, couldn't see to the bottom no, no, and i was going no, no, no i'm not no. going down there i'm not going down there and he's going come 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 it's okay it's okay and i was like i'm not going like down this dark tunnel where like where you had to like inch around the edge but we went to another <laughs> temple where um game we was on our own and a soldier came up to us and he was like he was going come 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 and he sort of took us off to this bit and he was showing us he was like scarab understand and he showed us like where someone had um carved a scarab into the wall mm. and then we took us further up into this place where you were past again past the rope where you weren't meant to go and there's someone mm. had carved a penis into all and he was like understand and he was like yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, very funny and he took us right up to the top of this um all these steps into this thing and he then, put a gun on you and said understand but basically he did he, he stood up and he went cash and i said i'm not good i haven't got any money and he, and he was like cash money and i was like i haven't got any money mm-hmm. and, he, and he he stood in front of the door and he held a machine gun up in front of us and he went <laughs> cash like this and and i was saying to bet that my kind of white entitlement just like i meant you're not gonna shoot me you can't excuse me sir uh, you can't shoot i'll me. have you know that i'll have someone from the british consulate here exactly, yeah. in under five minutes yeah and i was like you you will not shoot me you cannot shoot me and i just like walked past and i pushed my way past this guy but, yeah. and afterwards i suddenly had that realization i was i was taken way away from all of these people and this like, mm. egyptian soldier was pointing a machine gun at me and i was like but there's no way that anyone's going to do anything to me. Yeah, it's really easy for to have that point of view when you're re when you're thinking of certain circumstances. And I think that some of the the things which come across in some of these stories, it's like I, I am not a Jewish man who mm. who has has all of the what happened to white people within generations behind mm. me, and mm. so all the all the anti-Semitism I may have experienced growing up. Mm. a lot of that comes across in some of these stories as well that whole mm. thing of like 
when we're talking, when I'm talking about like that fear of indecision, it's not just about personal relationships. It's, it, it, it comes across. So there's a story later on where at last, yeah, where, uh, boys, guys at home, people start banging on the doors and there's all people outside. You can hear them chanting. And his thought is that shit, the Holocaust is happening again. So they, they, yeah, they, yeah. They're coming for us. You know, they, yeah. they're coming for, and there's all the Jewish people are panicking, but it turns out that, they're actually all James. How would you describe it? They're kind of like almost it's like the day of the last judgment, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, frankly, yeah. And and it's it's a good thing that's happening, but because they're, they're also frightened because they've had this thing in the past mm. which has happened to them, they're, mm. too, Surely they're too scared to come out. And that's but that's that's one of the great things about art and most and especially about literature is that it does allow you to have a degree of empathy and get you to see the world from somebody else's perspective. Mm. Right. So we come from a we're all talking from a position of privilege but getting to see how other people live and how other people have experienced things that's surely the inner part of the value of art and why mm. art should always be valued in any, in any culture that's my that's my very poncy five minutes but no, I, think, my... I think you're right and also i think one of the good things about us doing this mm. i think that there is so much stuff out there there's so many books and I, i'm someone who has a quite big anxiety about that there's loads of stuff out there which i need to consume because I, yeah and I, I feel like I consume it too quickly to mm. actually take in a lot of this mm. stuff. You don't uh, say I think you do, please. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I've really loved reading stuff and watching stuff with you guys because it's allowed me to think about it and, and, and talk about it afterwards and actually slow it down. And slow it down and find stuff in there which mm. may not have been put in there or, or it was there and I've completely missed. And it's mm. made me enjoy it and, and think about it to a much um, deeper Great level. Extent. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you. Cool. Well done, everyone. <laughs> well done. So would we recommend this and what are the scores? So, James, would you like to start off? Yeah. Well, I, let's, let's start on a positive. <laughs> so even though, and, you know, I do really appreciate what you guys said about, you know, the, the kind of the 90s, about or the late 90s factor. And also, yeah. I think, Ross, I think you're absolutely on the money about, you know, kind of stories about people um, and indecision and fear of making a decision one way or the other. 100% agree with that. But then at the same time, that, you know, I loved it at the time and I really enjoyed just revisiting those stories again. Mm. And I really enjoy Jeremy Dyson. I think he's an excellent writer. really like him. And also, I'm a huge fan of ghost stories as well. You know, kind of mm. seeing uh, ghost stories in, in you know, uh, when it first appeared uh, on stage was just a, a magical evening. And thanks to Ross, because that was Ross's uh, that was my 30th birthday present from Ross back in there, and it was amazing. Um, so for all of those things, for the first time on General Rich Finders, it gets a five. Well, well, well. Uh, John, go. John, so you can't go below zero. Oh, really? Oh, you can I, if you I, want to. I wouldn't go as, as low as for the rats. I Yeah, come on. I would recommend, yeah, exactly. I would recommend it to people. For me, it's probably a two. Or oh, a two, okay. Considering you give everything else a four or a five, that, I think that's, apart from the rats, I think that's a... I did uh, give the rats a minus ten or something. I think you did, yes, okay. <laughs> but I would recommend, John... I will I will read the others. I mean, this, as I said, this is me out of my comfort zone. Where, to be fair, James has been out of his comfort zone most weeks with <laughs> the stuff that we've looked at. And I think that... Um, yeah, I just think that um, maybe it's the settings or 
you know, maybe it's a modern setting, something that doesn't really grip me in the same way. You know, someone going to visit Los Angeles and going on a plane or, uh, you know, someone going to visit an Eastern European prostitute. It just feels a bit too modern for me. I just like okay. a bit more gothic kind of nonsense, really, or Victorian. And I think that's cool. That's that's the beauty of general witch finders. Is that I think that we, we all like, you know, we we, we all come at things. If we from, all like uh, the same thing, different angles. It'd be very boring. It'd be boring. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to give this a four. I think. Hey. It's not as good as I remember because I feel like it's aged a little bit. But maybe it's more I've aged rather than the the book has. Yeah. It's made me want to go back and and read the is it the cranes that cranes built and is that right, James? And, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, the haunted book because. There's a couple of stories in there which really stick in my mind as well. Um, and I really like what the the haunted book did towards the end, how it became very sort of meta. And um yeah. and as reading the book, I was going to say, why are they why are the, the last third of the book in different colour pages? And it was really <laughs> exciting to find yeah, out what, yeah. what what was happening as I got to that point. That is, I, I always think of uh, Danielowski's House of Leaves, if you've ever read I, that I, book. I've really, really tried to read that book. Um, you lent it to me before. I did, and it got to the point where it was like, "Where I'm about five levels in now, and there's yeah. way, way too much sex in this book at this point." <laughs> and oh, recurring theme, Ross. I can only read, <laughs> read so much sex. So much sex. <laughs> to recommend from since the last time we did a podcast um has anyone got anything this week i watched the second half of nosferatu okay which is going to make no sense because we're recording these two episodes out of order so <laughs> so refer to the first the first um part of this half. next in, in two weeks time but john how did you find yeah. the second half of nosferatu well, the second half, so I watched the second half first, obviously, because <laughs> um, that's how you watch films. Um, it's good. It's a good film. It's very weird. It's very slow. Um, Klaus Kinski is almost humorous in it. I don't know if he's meant to be particularly, but he he, he comes across as being absolutely ridiculous. Um but then the ending is very odd, uh, and I think a bit of a kind of inspiration for the kind of Mark Gatiss, uh, Stephen Moffat kind of retread of Dracula, where you find out that Jonathan has become a vampire himself Ooh. on the on the death of Dracula, and um, and the end of him is at the end of the film is him asking for a horse and saying something like "I have lots to do," and then he just buggers off into the sunset, and the film finishes after his wife has killed herself trying to save his life. Um, yeah, so it's a weird, um, it's a weird retread uh, where the ending changes, but it is a very interesting bit of filmmaking and there's some really interesting set pieces in it. But it's not, it's not set pieces that you think in terms of like action or drama. It's like weird shots of loads and loads of rats for like 10 minutes. Or like a really, really high up shot looking down onto the town square where there's just loads of men carrying coffins uh, through the town square because Dracula's brought the plague to the, to the city. My main memory of it, my only memory of this film is from a child of like the, 
either the cock crowing or the bell ringing and the vampire running home. Is this, did, does that happen? No. No? Okay, so I don't know. <laughs> she seduces him to keep him in her bedchamber until first cock crow, and then he looks out the window and the sunlight kills him. That's very hard to say for some reason. But, um, yeah, it's it's very... The way it kind of pays homage to um, silent film is very interesting. Um, Isabella Jani, I'm going to check that it is her before I'm shot down by no one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want... Uh, I don't want our first ever complaint to be that I have got the name of someone wrong. Isabella Gianni, yeah. So Isabella Gianni looks absolutely amazing in it. And she looks very, very like a silent cinema kind of heroine in it. So apparently, uh, I I think the guy who made The Witch and The Lighthouse is mm. making remaking Nosferatu, but I, I can't... Oh, he's doing a Viking. He's doing this Viking thing next, isn't right, he? Right, okay. Because I'm oh, sure that, Yeah, I'm trying to find... Because I saw that somewhere, and I'm trying to find proof of that on the internet. But um... this might have been a funny Ross dream because he's definitely yeah. doing a, uh, this this Viking thing next. I'm sure. But I enjoyed it very much. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's not a rollicking romp, but it is a piece mm. of very kind of solid European. Um, it, I wouldn't call it horror. There's nothing horrific in it at all. There's very very little blood, but it is. A very beautiful looking film, which is really beautifully shot. Um, and that's enough for me. If people would like to have a quick look at the General Witchfinder's Twitter feed, you'll see, um, the, or you know, or maybe whoever out of you two is in charge of it at the moment might want to retweet the article. But there was a great article in The Guardian that basically highlighted saying the rise of the horror podcast. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of, Simon and, sent and, me this. <laughs> I haven't read There it you yet. go. And, Right, it's very, very good, and it talks about what the BBC. It talks about uh, our friend uh, Julian Sampson, or uh, who did all the kind of, the, the reworked HP Lovecraft ones mm-hmm. that we that we've kind of talked about at length. You know, mm-hmm. Shadow Over Innsmouth, mm-hmm. and you know all of that, which has been fantastic. They didn't speak to us though, did they? Oh, the bat- and then they also talk about the Battersea Poltergeist. As well, which is something, we, and so I was, oh, okay. And then it said, but you know, this is just you know, and those are just the BBC ones at the moment. There is an absolute kind of rising stock in sort of next generation horror podcasts, mm. and they then listed some. And I thought, wow, well, all right, okay, I'll take a li- I'll, I'll take a listen. And so so yeah. far, because it was only at the start this week that these were listed. Um, and I, I listened to two. I listened mm. to the left right game to start off with, right. which I wasn't massively enamored with. It's, it's a clearly very expensively done. It's got Tessa Thompson in it, who you might know. She was, she was, uh, people probably know as Valkyrie from, um, Thor and the, uh, last two Avengers movie. John doesn't no. obviously, but, um, she, she's been in lots of, lots of good stuff. She's Thompson. In, she was in Westworld. And uh, she was in Westworld <laughs> as well. Yes. She's in Westworld. She in, in in anything with Peter Cushing? <laughs> no, not yet. Not until they do some sort of time travel films. But uh, anyway, but with that, um, it is kind of sponsored by Sonos. Sort of like the oh, sound. Sort right. of halfway through the episodes, you have an unskippable ad going, hello, 
I'm one of the sound designers of this episode, and we've designed this to be played on Sonos equipment. The wonderful thing about Sonos equipment, and you know, and it really takes you out of the story, and you think, once again, God bless the BBC, that I don't have to learn yeah. this, this shit the whole time. Yeah. So I have to say, and also the premise behind it, I found to be not amazing, not fantastic, but I did enjoy Alice Isn't Dead. From Night Vale Presents podcasts, mm-hmm. which is very, very good. It starts off, it's all about, you know, it's this woman who's, it's that kind of nice podcast thing that they do these days. So people saying, well, I'm either recording my memoirs or I'm recording this, I'm doing this for the purposes of an article or something like that. So it gives you that feeling of verisimilitude that you stumbled upon somebody's kind of tapes of their lives and things such as that. And it's a woman who's, and, you know, she's a trucker in the States. And kind of trucks and those huge kind of endless highways of, you know, in, and kind of interstates uh, in the middle of America. And in episode number one, something quite freaky and quite disturbing happens. And I thought, oh, that was surprisingly good. Okay. So okay. I've, I've really enjoyed episode one of that. And I'm going to see where mm. it goes. So, yes, that's Alice Isn't Dead. I will be listening to that. That sounds good. Mm. Wherever you get your podcasts. They like I'm talking about Servant on Apple TV. Okay. Just for this series two of Servant. Um, this is produced by M. Night Shamalamalamalamalamalam. Mm, and Ding Dong. Uh, yeah. The premise, premise of this is a, uh, a rich family in uh, an amazing, beautiful house in, in uh, Brownstone sort of type house in Boston. Mm-hmm. The, uh, she is a news reporter for the, uh, for the local news. He is a... Uh, he's like a consultant chef like he will go to like the top restaurants and he will help develop their their menus for them uh, so he's played by the guy who was uh sort of the disabled brother in um the band shoes and he was also the ape out of uh, toby, yes. toby campbell yes yeah, yeah brilliant yes. He's, he's really good at it the the she's played by the uh redhead girl out of um six feet under I can't okay. remember. Anyway, um, and her brother <laughs> is uh, is Rupert Grint from uh, Harry Potter fame. From the Potter. Yeah. And he, Rupert Grint, he is incredible in it. He's brilliant. Really, really funny. Uh, just really good. Uh, amazing performance of Rupert Grint. It's completely made me look at him in a different light. But yeah. the, 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 the premise of the story is that they, are hire, they hire a nanny into the house. And when the nanny gets there, mm. the baby is a, a dummy. It's a, it's a oh. fake, fake baby. And the, the dad takes us one side and says, look, the baby has died. And part of her therapy is that because she hasn't accepted that he's died, that we're using this baby, this dummy, as a like a therapy thing to get her to come to terms with the idea that the baby's no longer here. Mm. And at the end of the first episode, you hear ba- a baby crying. And they go in there and there's the 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 nanny who's come who's, who's a, a young 17 year old girl she's holding the baby and at no point does she uh, acknowledge that it's a dummy and then it's like okay well what's happened as is it something supernatural as this um as she brought the baby back as she has mm. she got has she got a baby which she's come and she's replaced that that baby with where has she come from what's it all about so so that's kind of like in series one and now series two, it goes a little bit further and I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but, and I feel like series two has been obviously, um, part of COVID filming. So it's nearly all inside mm-hmm. this house and there was going outside or anything. Um, but to say in series two, the dummy's back and they're basically, they lock this girl up in the, in the, the loft. Dummy's and back. 
Is that the strap line? Of yeah, the, the, uh, the dummy's back. Yeah, but I mean, it's like it's like bring that you've got to bring the baby back, and just it just goes a little bit lost. That sort of you find out about this weird cult which this girl's come from, and it's and mm-hmm. and, and uh, they they got like. Betamax tapes where they're talking about these sort of which has got like guys of how to do a certain ceremony and all and it's kind of black magic-y but it's also nice it's not one of Zach Bagan's haunted dolls is it <laughs> Peggy the doll Peggy the doll I'd highly recommend it each, Robert uh, the doll I think there's 10 episodes in each each series and it's one of those ones where when you're coming up to the end of the series, you're really excited that it's coming to an end because you know something really cool is going to happen, but also you're really fucked off because it's gonna, you know it's going to be a cliffhanger and you're yeah, going to have to wait. Yeah, that's why I will never watch it. <laughs> it just goes on through. Two series in, I don't know why it's called Servant, and it's what I feel like, okay, where is this Where is this going? What is? Who is the servant in this, in this story? It's, who is um, the servant? Okay, so... Well done, everyone. Thank you very much for listening uh, tonight for something a little bit different from our, our usual... Film-centric. I'm, 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 all, I'm all cerebral. I'm all yeah. cerebral evening. Yeah. Whichever which uh, one Less is. laughs, more neuroses. Um, <laughs> and next week, we will be bringing you Deafline, or a.k.a. Raw Meat. But until then... <laughs> mind the gap. Yeah, mind, mind the, the gap. doors. Mind, mind, mind the doors. Mind the doors. Um, yeah, and so goodbye for me. Happy day. All right. Thank you, everyone. Stay safe. Love, light, and peace. You have been listening to The General Witchfinders. Support the show and continue the conversation at patreon.com forward slash general witchfinders. Subscribe and spread the word at generalwitchfinders.com. Farewell. You don't have nightmares. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.